So the last month or so, or actually eight weeks, we have been in the book of Luke. And occasionally, uh, things will happen in our culture that intersect with uh, what we've been studying. And that has happened this week. And I just want to point it out to you. Um, If you recall, where we are started way back in chapter 15 uh, when Jesus went to a dinner party. And uh, Jesus talked a lot at that dinner party about... um, just the fact that uh, the type of ministry that he was having, that God's kingdom was coming. And then uh, the Pharisees were upset. In fact, the text says in Luke 15, 1, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus, and, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with, him, with them. And so Jesus, recognizing that they were upset because these sinners, and these were the worst kind of sinners. We've talked in here before about how when we hear tax collector, we need to, in our mind, think of mob boss, extortioner, the worst of the worst. And so Jesus is hanging out with these people. He's not, he's not saying that what they're doing is okay. He's not, he's not justifying what's going on. But he is bringing his love to them. The Pharisees are upset about that, and so Jesus, in an effort to make his point, immediately tells three stories, and we looked in great detail. One was the lost sheep, that there's 99 sheep, one of them goes off, that 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 good shepherd would go find that one, and then everybody would celebrate. And the story of the lady who lost the coin, that any lady who's got, she's got 10 coins, she loses one, she's not just going to go, oh, I've got 90% of them. No, she's going to clean her house, she's going to look everywhere, and when she finds it, everybody's going to be excited. And then he tells the story of the lost son, who walks away from the father. And so, what Jesus was trying to say to them was, it's not your place to look at anybody and be their fruit inspector. It's your job to be your own fruit inspector. That when somebody comes to Christ, that we celebrate. Oh my gosh, a ship has been found. The coin that was lost is found. And so we've seen this last week in the story that's been all over the news that Kanye West has made a profession of faith. And I've listened all week as there were Christians who get online and say, does he really think that after a lifetime of hedonism, of alcoholism, of drug abuse, of wives in and out of his life, does he really think that he can just say a prayer and make some kind of profession and that changes everything? Absolutely! Praise God, that means everything! And as I read someone much wiser than I say, I'm much more shocked. It doesn't shock me at all that God could save Kanye West. I don't know if Kanye West is really saved or not. But it doesn't shock me that he does. No, it really shocks me that God could save Tommy Harrison. That blows my mind. But the fact that God could save Kanye West doesn't shock me at all. And if you serve a Savior who you look at anyone and say, God can't save him, then you're not worshiping Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You have created an idol and you have taped Jesus on the outside of it and you bow down and worship an idol of your own making. Because this gospel that we believe in, what Jesus has just spent four chapters sending home is that he came to seek and save that which is lost. And the loster, the greater the Savior we have. And so, 
I applaud. I'm excited. Now, is Kanye West going to be the next spokesman for Christianity? Probably not. Is he going to continue to say stupid things and make mistakes? I'm... Yeah. And you know what? I continue to make mistakes and say stupid things. A lot of you remind me of that on a regular basis. <laughs> but we celebrate when the lost is found. And so as I listened and saw on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram people saying really dumb things, I thought, our little flock knows better because we've been looking at the words of Jesus. And so we've seen in the book of Luke where Jesus prepared us for the fact that heaven explodes in celebration when lost people get saved. All right, so that was just bringing us up to where we are after we saw Jesus teach those lessons, and the whole time he was teaching and telling those stories, he was, had this interplay where he would talk to the Pharisees, and then he would talk to his disciples. And he would go back and forth from engaging people that were antithetical to everything that he taught to engaging the, his followers, his learners. And he was going back and forth. We'll see that again today as uh, we come from the story that, that uh, Brian did such an excellent job teaching on that ended, Luke ends this story with this very pregnant phrase that he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. And as Brian pointed out, all ten of them were healed. So why would he say to this one guy, Your faith has made you well? No, this guy isn't just physically well, he's now in the kingdom. And so Luke takes this very pregnant thought and then takes it into Jesus' teaching on the kingdom. Luke knows what he's doing. He's telling a story and tying it in together. And so Luke takes us to a different time and place. We've shifted settings. And help me if I'm on the right page. Uh, get me all excited talking about God's saving. So Luke takes us to being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. So the Pharisees are being a little smart-alecky here. Jesus has been talking a lot about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. And so the Pharisees are saying to Jesus, all right, when? You keep saying the kingdom all through Jesus' discussion for the last four or five chapters. He keeps saying the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom has come. The kingdom is... So when? When this kingdom coming? The Pharisees had this mistaken idea that God's kingdom was going to come when Jesus picked up a sword and claimed a throne. And so they're saying, when, biggin? You keep running your mouth about the kingdom. When are you going to do it? When are you going to put your money where your mouth is? You keep talky, talky, talky about the kingdom. When's it going to happen? And so Jesus, talking to the Pharisees, answers them and says, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. The kingdom's asked, when? And he says, not in the ways that you're expecting. They're asking when, and Jesus is saying, you're missing the point. Behold, he says, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It's, it's right here. Now, what he was saying to them was, is you're looking at the king. The kingdom always comes first with a king, right? He's saying, the kingdom is in the midst of you. It's right here. Here's the king. Now, he takes this opportunity, he says that to the Pharisees, and then he turns to his disciples. And he uses this as a teaching point. 
And he said to his disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. They will say to you, Look here, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. Throughout his ministry, there were lots of times when Jesus would feed 5,000. Immediately following that, everybody was ready to make him king. Look, the kingdom has come. It's happening. It's finally happening. Jesus is going to ascend the throne. It's going to happen. And Jesus is saying, when that happens, don't, don't look in that direction. When Peter saw those soldiers marching into the garden in his mind, now's the time. So he drew that sword. He's ready to fight. Let's put the king on his throne. So Peter's not listening to what Jesus says before. In fact, most theologians call these lessons that we're going to be digging into the travel lessons because this is Jesus walking toward Jerusalem for what's eventually going to happen. These disciples, Jesus is saying, there's going to be times when you start, when people go, here it is, here it is. Oh my gosh, it's going to finally happen. It's finally happening. Don't listen to that. For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. Now Jesus knows what they're thinking. And so he, it's funny because the, the Pharisees said, when, and Jesus is saying, you're not going to see it. And then when he's talking to his disciples, he's going to be, everybody's going to see it. It's going to be really obvious. Because when lightning flashes in the east, it lights up the whole sky, right? When lightning flashes, nobody has to go, oh, I wonder what that was. You know what that was. When light, especially when it's close, when lightning occurs, you know what's going on. And Jesus is saying, when my kingdom comes, it's going to be obvious to everybody. When Jesus returns, when the, the second coming happens, and the Jordan Valley is split, nobody's going to wonder what's going on. But then Jesus prepares them for what has to occur first. He said, first, the Son of Man, first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Jesus is telling them it's not happening the way you think it's going to happen. And then he gives them two analogies to drive home that point. He said, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the Son of Man. And then later he says, likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot. And in both cases, he talks about they were eating and drinking and marrying and get marri uh, being given in marriage. And then in Lot, they were, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. What Jesus is trying to tell them is, is that you think of my kingdom coming as something that's out there that's going to happen. And you're thinking of it all wrong. See, that happens in the church today. There are believers, they, they start studying end times. And they start getting all excited about what's going to happen out there in the future. God gave us a whole book, the book of the Revelation. We're studying it on Wednesday nights. In fact, this Wednesday night, we're going to be going through Armageddon. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but if we think of those end times things as you've got cake, and then that's the icing on the cake, or it's something way out there that we've got to look and see what's going to happen, then you're missing the point. God's kingdom, don't think of it like icing on the cake. Think of it as seeds in a field. Think of it 
as leaven or yeast in the bread dough. It's integral in everything that's going on. And Jesus says, in Noah's time and in Lot's time, what was going on in everybody's life just before calamity occurred, just before God's wrath was poured out, it was just another day. Everybody thought everything was normal. None of the things that Jesus lists is sinful. It's buying, selling, planning a wedding, just doing life. On Friday, uh, uh, Thursday, Jeff was in my office, and we were, we were talking about a different theological issue, and Matt was in there, and we were sit, just sitting around talking, and, and he said, you know, sometimes we talk about these high, lofty theological ideas, but what we've got to do as a church is take these ideas and break them down so that the guy who gets up on Monday morning and goes to his job, it, how does this fit for him? And I said, you've just written the introduction to this sermon. See, we think that God only moves in these big moments. We think that that God only functions when there's a choir praying, there's some preacher up here going, I see that hand, I see that hand, yes, Lord. And then the altar fills and we have these emotional moments. We look to the rapture and say, that's when. And what Jesus is saying is, is where God's kingdom actually lives is in the day after day after day after day. This week, my my mom, uh, last week, had knee surgery. And so this week, I have uh, worked primarily from her house and sitting around and trying to do sermon prep and at the same time, you know, making... uh, Bologna sandwiches and, and, and cleaning up, and, and Lord knows I'm not a maid, but I'm doing the best I can, um, and, and trying to, to help out. And she said on Wednesday or Thursday, she said, I hate that you're here and I'm taking you away from the things of the Lord. And I thought to myself, this is the things of the Lord. Moms, when you are... Loving on your little kids and kissing their boo-boos? That is the things of God. Dads, when you get up on Monday morning and go to work and you don't feel like it because nobody wants to go to work on Monday morning. And you're putting your boots on. I didn't have to get an amen on that. Everybody knows. And you're putting your boots on or putting your shoes on and you're thinking, why do I do this? And you look at your wife and you look at your kids and you go, well, you know, I just got to do what I got to do. That is God's work. Whether you eat or whether you sleep or whatever you do, do it all to God's glory. And so as believers, God's kingdom is not something that's coming when Jesus comes back. God's kingdom is now. And so the day to day to day to day that we live in can either be something that grows us in our Christ likeness and it's God's kingdom flourishing and blooming in our lives or it can be something that drags you to the pits of hell. Someone asked me this week, what does demonism look like in an American context? Okay, so we think of demonism as somebody's, you know, heads turning around crazy and they're puking pea green soup and doing the funky chicken on the ground and talking in funny language 
That's what we think of, right? Because that's what the movies have told us. You fight an enemy that's way smarter than that. If somebody was, if, if somebody was truly controlled by a demon, was all doing all that kind of stuff, we would run, right? In the United States context, oftentimes demonism looks like an iPad. It looks like a new boat. It looks like a new car. It's anything that Satan can use to blind your mind, to keep your eyes closed so that you don't see. That's why Jesus says over and over, let him who has eyes to see, let him see. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Just the day-to-day-to-day life, if it can numb you to the fact that God loves you and wants you to serve Him with everything that you've got, it will drag you into hell one micro-step at a time. And Satan doesn't care if we are afraid of little boogeymen. He wants us not to be afraid of the work that he can do in your heart. Because we love to erect idols and say, that's mine. And so what Jesus is saying, as he uses the example of Lot, and he uses the example of Noah, is be afraid every day that today we give everything we've got to God. I pray the sinner's prayer every morning when my feet hit the ground. Oh God, I know I'm a sinner. There's nothing good comes out of me. And so, God, I need you today to work through me. I need you today to fill me with your spirit. I need you today to empower me. And then some days, I don't give up and do that. And you could look at my life from a distance and not tell the difference between me and a lost man. Every day we need him. And so the day to day to day, the buying and selling, the giving in marriage, the, all of those things can either be things that we live to the glory of God, to the building of His kingdom, or they can be things that drag you to the pits of hell. And then Jesus tells, shows us the difference. He says, Remember Lot's wife. One of the saddest stories in the Bible. Those of you who don't know the story, God had said, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot and his wife are commanded to leave after Abraham argues with God over, let me find some righteous people. Lot and his wife are leaving, and just as they're getting out of town, Lot's wife turns back, longingly looking back towards Sodom, and she dies. Turns into a pillar of salt. Almost saved. So close. Almost there. All she had to do was keep putting one foot in front of the other and she would have made it. And so Jesus tells his disciples, remember Lot's wife. Remember how close she was. H.A. Ironside in his commentary on Luke says, I presume that during the years Lot dwelled in Sodom, he had made quite a little fortune. Probably he had a fine residence. I gather from Scripture that he had succeeded in making a name for himself. We read that he sat in the gate of Sodom, which implies that he was a judge. And when God's judgment fell, Lot was saved, but only by fire. He got out of Sodom in time, but he lost everything for which he had labored during all those years. He himself was saved, but everything he had was lost. 
And so here you have Lot and his wife side by side. Lot is saved, Lot's wife is not. What's the difference? And Jesus answers the question. I don't have to come up with a question. He said, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will keep it. When we, the very essence of being a believer, let's just take Romans 10.9. We've all heard Romans 10.9. If you've ever learned EE, you've learned to quote this to people, you know that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from, from the dead, you will be saved. Beautiful, beautiful text in Scripture. So there's, it's literally a, a if-then statement. If you do two things, believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead and confess Jesus as Lord. I love the way the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul penned that. He says it differently than we say it in America. In America, when we're witnessing somebody, we say, would you like to make Jesus Lord of your life or make Jesus Lord? Paul doesn't say it that way because here's the reality. You ain't making Jesus nothing. <laughs> so by saying confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the word confession we've kind of churched up, it just means to agree with God. We confess our sin by saying, yes, God, this is sin. And so we confess that Jesus is Lord by agreeing with God. Yes, you are Lord. We confess and admit the truth. We're not making Jesus Lord. We're agreeing with God that he is Lord. And so the, at the heart of being a believer is you saying to God, everything that I have, everything that I am, everything I'm going to be, my hopes, my dreams, my aspirations, my future, my past, it's all yours. It's all, you can have it. That's the first step of being a Christian. And so when Jesus says that he who, who gives his life away finds it, is saying, give all your hopes, dreams, aspirations, everything that you are, everything that you think about, give that over to God, and you know what? You're going to find life. Because when you're following after him, now you're not following after your own heart. And your own heart's going to drag you all over the place. But if you fight for yourself and what you want, if you believe the lie of, again, we come up with it, carpe diem, YOLO. Um, I don't know, I can't think of any more. There's a bunch. Go for the gusto. You only live once. Do what you want to do. You deserve it, baby. It's Burger King time. If you live your life that way, you're going to lose it. You're going to be miserable in this life. And then we're going to remember back in Mark's, uh, Matt, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke 16, where we read the story of the rich man who lifted his eyes being in torment. And so Jesus says, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. Before we move on, there's a lot of good church folk that will be Lot's wife. They look good. They sound good. They got a Jesus bumper sticker on their car. And I'm begging you with tears in my eyes. I am begging you. Die to yourself. Take up your cross and follow Christ. 
Don't lean on your own goodness. Please, please don't go to hell. And then Jesus goes on continuing to teach his disciples. And he says, I tell you, in that night there will be two in bed and one will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two men in the field. One will be taken and the other left. And so Jesus paints a picture. Now, I do believe that this is a, the story of end times. It's, it's, it's something that, that uh, we, we look at that and we picture in our mind the rapture. But I want to tell you that even deeper than that, that's every day, isn't it? There was a man that was a part of this church. His wife had come home from work. They were supposed to leave and go on a trip. Um, in their 40s, had a kid that was young. Life is just moving along. She had gotten off of work a little bit early, so she was like, hey, let's go ahead and, uh, let's go ahead and go on our trip. And he's like, no, we need to get some sleep before we go. And she had gone to the bathroom and was brushing her teeth. He's in the, in the bedroom talking to her, and they're talking through the wall. Oh, come on, let's go ahead and get in the car and go. And he's, no, let's, let's wait. I need to get some sleep. I just got off work. And then silence. He got up and looked in the bathroom, and she was laying on the floor. She went home to meet her maker. No warning. No underlying health issues that they knew of. Nothing going on. Just gone. Every person in here has been around when that phone just rings. Three o'clock in the morning. Hello? What? Who is this? This is the state trooper's office. We need to talk to you about your family member. We go through life and two are in the field and then one's gone. Come on. We've all seen this day to day. Don't sit back and wait for the rapture. This happens all the time. You're not promised tomorrow. There's nothing that says that you're going to wake up in the morning. There's nothing that promises you that life's going to just keep going on. Buying and selling. Giving in marriage. And Jesus is telling them, don't put off letting the kingdom grow in you. Don't put it off to tomorrow. Don't say, I'll deal with this later. Don't say, after a while, I'll start changing my life. No, no, a thousand times no. Die to yourself now. Give up what God is convicting you of today. Don't put it off. Don't think I'll have time in the future to deal with this because you've not promised that. And as we do that, we harden our heart so that you get to what Jesus called the unpardonable sin. It isn't that people are confessing and trying to get saved. It's just they're too smart to worry about it anymore. They've said, whenever the Holy Spirit moved, they said, ah, that's just something else. Mm, come on. Ah, that's silly. Who believes a bunch of 2,000-year-old myths? And so we harden our heart. We say, God, not today, but tomorrow. Day after day after day after day. So that our sin doesn't seem sinful anymore. It's just normal. And so Jesus says, don't keep putting off dealing with dying to yourself. 
And so it's interesting, the Pharisees said, when will the kingdom of God come? And the disciples said, where, Lord? Lord, where? You're saying the kingdom is in our midst. You're saying that the kingdom is like lightning that you see in the sky. Where? Where is it? Where is the kingdom? This is an honest question. The Pharisees' question was smart-alecky and snarky. The, the, the disciples, as they're listening to the hard teachings of Jesus, are saying, where? And Jesus gives them pretty much the same answer as he did with the lightning. He said, and they, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. It's obvious to everybody. There have been lots of times in my life when I've been bush hogging, I've been driving down the road, I've been, there have been times when I've been standing out in the back parking lot and you look up and you'll see them big turkey buzzards circling. And you think to yourself, something died. Even though it's from a distance, you can look and say, uh, they're not just circling because they like circles. There's a carcass somewhere that they're getting ready to feed. From long distances away, people know what that is. Everybody knows what's going on. The kingdom of God is obvious to everybody if they'll look. Now there's clearly imagery here about death. That Jesus is saying, A, he's already talked about dying to yourself, and B, he's brought up the idea that if you don't die to yourself, if you try to fight for your life, you're going to lose it. But the other side of this observation that Jesus is using here is that it's obvious. And that's what I want to focus on. Because I think that sometimes we, we have eyes to see, but we don't see. And I have Christians that come to my office, I'd say once a month I'll hear a question along the lines of, why does God not do miracles today like he did in the Bible? Like I read stories in the Gospels and I see Jesus walking around spitting on the ground making some mud and healing blind people. Or I'll see Paul that says that even the sick people have, were put in his shadow that they were healed. Why is it that we see that in the Bible but today my mama died from cancer? They're really asking the same questions that, that the disciples here are asking. God's kingdom, Where? The greatest miracle ever wrought on man is that God reached down into our old wicked, sinful world and took a wicked, evil person out of this world, recreated him, made him new, made him fresh, made him clean, and then put him back into this world to make a difference. And you're seeing that miracle all around you. As we stood as the unified children of God in this room and sang, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, who is to come. That is God's kingdom! We saw it right here as broken, ugly, nasty people came together out of love for each other that's unnatural and showed love for each other and as one lifted our voice praising a king that is God's kingdom come to this earth. We're seeing it now. 
Do you understand how strange it is in this room right now? I look around the room and I see rich people and I see poor people. I see rednecks and I see yuppies. Do we even say yuppies anymore? I don't think we say yuppies. I see millennials. I see weirdos. I'm in the weirdo camp. I see people who are of all kinds of strange mix and unusual behaviors. And yet we're all standing in this same room together. I was just in Jeff's classroom and listened to people who are of all socioeconomic spectrum have no reason whatsoever to be in a room together talking with each other about how to pray for each other and how to stand in the gap to be there for each other. That's not normal. That doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. That doesn't happen where a janitor can disciple a CEO. That doesn't happen anyplace else. We are in the midst of God's kingdom right now as God works in your life and my life to transform us from the disgusting, broken, evil people that He started out with to make us the children of God, the Christ-like followers of Him that we will be. That is God's kingdom. It is in your midst. Just open your eyes and see it. Father God, as we come to this time of invitation, oh God, I pray that if we have anyone in this room that's Lot's wife, oh God, if we have anyone in this room that says they're a follower of Christ but looks longingly at the world, God, anyone who thinks that because they're of what they do, that they're going to earn their way to heaven. God, if there's anybody in this room that's never confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in their heart that God raised Him from the dead, God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Oh, God, I pray that you would move. God, I pray if there are believers in this room who once in their life they remember dying to themselves daily, but yesterday they lived for themselves. And the day before that, they lived for themselves. God, I thank you that your word says if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to cleanse us of our sin and forgive us of all unrighteousness. And so, God, I pray that those believers would call out to you and confess. Lord, I know there are people in this room that are, that are, that are hurting that have things going on in their family, going on in their job, going on in their life. And God, I pray that those would be tools that you use to make them more like Jesus. God, I pray that they would come down to this altar and cry out to you. Lord, I pray that there would be men in this room that are willing to stand in the gap for their brothers and their sisters and their family. God, I pray that you would move. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name.